What is faith? Is it a disease or a virus in culture? Is it believing in something you cannot see or even have evidence for? Many Christians and skeptics have a misunderstanding of this word, faith. What is biblical faith? Let's get real about faith and how you can have a faith that will weather the coming perfect storm in our culture. And you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. Thank you for tuning in this week. And the subject matter of today is this whole word about faith. That's right, faith. You know, that's that word that Peter Bogosian and some of the uh, street epistemologists would say is a disease. Something that the late Christopher Hitchens would say that is a disease or a virus in culture. And many Christians today do not understand what this word faith really entails. And what I mean by that is because when you ever ask a Christian what the word faith actually means, not talking about the prosperity gospel, I'm talking about the word F-A-I-T-H, faith. Or if you're Scottish, it's faith. But here's the thing. What does this word mean? You know, some people will say that it's just believing something that you can't see or believing something with no evidence. But we're going to get into the definitions about what this word is all about. And we're going to talk about how you and I can develop a robust faith. It's particularly in this culture that we are finding ourselves in, one that's really going sideways right now because of all the all the racial profiling and all the critical race theory and the white uh, frailty uh, intersectionality nonsense that's going on in our culture. We're not going to address that today, but this is the new battlefront. And you and I have to understand what, as Christians, what we mean. And if you're a skeptic listening, thank you for tuning in. If you're a skeptic, you need to understand, we want you to understand as well what this word faith really means. Now, as I know that many folks today, they uh, will define this word faith by stating that it's believing something with no evidence. I just mentioned that just to, you know, but the interesting thing, some well-meaning Christians do the same. They would say that they have no need for evidence, that they just believe in Jesus. If you're a friend of mine on Facebook, you would see the meme I put up. But We don't need apologetics, just give me Jesus. But you have to make it apologetic in order to defend that. You know. But here's the other side of the ledger. Atheists would like us to take their definition of faith to mean believing something you cannot see or to mean the most popular accusation believing something with no evidence. Even though I've written things like I've written on my blog, you can go to roblundbergapologetics.com and you can see some of the things that I've written on this subject. And, you know, when, I, when it comes to this, my reasons that I want to hit this head on is because whenever I'm doing evangelism, and it's pre-evangelism, it's conversational evangelism, I'm finding out that the people that I am speaking to do not have an understanding of this word faith either. Because they are taught in their churches by their pastors 
that faith actually means something that's more along the lines of blind faith. And I may take a couple weeks on this subject, but uh, what we need to do today is deal with this definition. So this is how I'm going to approach this subject. I'm going to use one of my favorite methods, the question and answer inquiry. First, I'll start with the question of what is faith from the dictionary perspective. And from there, I want to move to uh, some uh, a look at Hebrews 11.1, 1, which is the definition that we see in the Bible that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And then lastly, I'll close with what it means by having a Christian faith, one that the word pistuo and pistis, which are the Greek words verb and, and, and noun, pistuo is to believe, and pistis is the word for faith. Now, please note, this is not going to be ex- exhaustive. This is not going to be some uh, overdrawn presentation. I'm going to try and stay within the 30 minutes of my show. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to hit the high points. And as I hit the high points, if you have any questions, please, 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 please email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. At the same time, I believe it is important enough a subject to engage and possibly engage in further discussion. And I have, do have a goal, as I do more speaking and writing on this, perhaps even a position paper, where I'm going to hammer on this subject a little bit more. Now, many folks today, when looking at the definition of this word in the dictionary, they have a few discussions about those that are embracing the popular atheism. One thing is certain that only one of the five different definitions presented in most dictionaries, the objection fomenting from the atheist is centered on only one of the five definitions in most dictionaries. When approaching a dictionary, though, the definition for the word faith, we need to look at all of the definitions and fit them into their proper context. This cannot be understated. It is of most important to understand that in many cases where there are multiple definitions of a word, it will depend on the context where the word is used. So say, for example, faith is one of these words. Let me demonstrate this by going breaking down the definitions, wading through Webster's Dictionary. There are essentially five different definitions of this word for faith. The first definition implies a type of confidence or trust in a person or a thing. That's more along the lines of what we're going to talk about. Having faith in another's ability to do something. And this definition draws in a strong reference to an object. There's an object to our faith. Whether that object of the person or a thing that is believed or with stronger strong conviction, this can even refer to marital fidelity, faith in a religion, or faith in a person. In the context of religious faith, there are many people in our culture who have this kind of faith in whatever religion they embrace. The interesting thing is that they are convinced 
that their religion is true, but the question is, have they tested those truth claims uh, to know whether or not they're true? There is a conviction, but the question is toward the validity of truth for the religion that is embraced. And this idea is going to be important as we move forward into this discussion. Secondly, there's a definition that is in favor of fideistic faith. Now, what I mean is faith and faith when I say the word fideistic. You have faith and faith. This definition implies a belief that is not based on proof. It is like having a kind of faith that is based more in hypothesis or theory than substantiated fact. Again, there is a, a faith that is embraced or believed to be as uh, true, but the question is toward the validity of truth for the religion that is embraced. I think of those who embrace religions based on feelings, and, uh, but the religion itself has not been tested for its truthfulness by the person embracing it. I, I got a call the other day. It was one of those calls that, you know, you think somebody's looking to sell you insurance or help you with your student loan. It was from the state of Oklahoma. I thought it was a car business because somebody was trying to sell me a car from Tulsa, but it turned out to be a Mormon missionary. And I asked them about this word faith. And sure enough, well, we just believe that it's true. How do you believe it? Well, we base it on our experience. And I'll, I'll get into this more later on in another show. But Mormonism is, a, is an example of a faith in faith of something that is true. Let's get to the third definition. The third definition, along with the first definition, this is more in the religious context. And from the dictionary, it says that uh, faith or belief in God it talks about a faith or a belief in God and in the doctrines of the religion. It's more along the lines of an adjective. Now, um, may I insert here that this definition can refer to those on both sides of the belief line. Many skeptics have a faith, though they will not admit it, in the idea of scientism, thinking that science is the, uh, will one day prove all truth, I call this the unreasonable faith of the skeptic. Let's talk about a fourth one here, and the, that one is that there's a definition which refers to belief in anything such as a, a code of ethics or a standard of merit. This can also be religious faith in its particular context. It can also be uh, patriotic in another context. To give an example... This is like a, a CODA, C-O-D-A faith. I have some friends that are up the road from us about 40 minutes at the Quantico base. Those of you who have served in the Marine Corps or know someone in the Marines will be very familiar with the saying Semper Fidelis or Semper Fi. That word, Fidelis, is the word in Latin for faith or Semper Fi, which is abbreviated for Fidelis. This is a, that kind of faith. And lastly, there is this usage of this word faith that reflects a description of a system of religious belief. So example, this is more along the lines of adjectival faith, ad, like an adjective. The Christian faith, the Jewish faith, the Islamic faith, the Hindu faith, the, the, Hindu faith, the, the Buddhist faith, and so on and so forth. 
Now, what about the Bible? What does the Bible have to say? You know, in a conversation between fellow believers, the Bible translation one uses can either keep the smooth conversation or even muddy the waters. In either case, it surely sets the ground for how the rest of our presentation here is going to go. And I'm referring to Hebrews 11 and 1. Hebrews 11 verse 1, where we see the definition in the Bible about this word faith, even though the reasons for evidence are also present. Let me demonstrate this by using two popular translations. I'm going to be using and referring to the New American Standard and the New King James Bibles. They're great translations. The New King James is a spinoff of the King James. makes the English a whole lot smoother in its rendering. And I think we will see what I'm trying to convey here. First, with the New American Standard Bible, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, with the New King James, or the King James, because it's, it's, it says the same thing. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, Hebrews 11.1 1 indeed does give us the clearest definition of faith from the Bible. You know, if you enter into the quick word study, which we'll do here, this verse uses words like assurance. It uses words like substance it, in the first part. And then we look at the original language of these words, and we run into this fun Greek word, hypostasis, which simply means assurance. This kind of assurance imparts the meaning of a confident assurance and not some blind assurance. Yesterday I was on my friend David uh, Russell's uh, podcast, and we were talking a little bit about this as kind of like a sidebar I'm not a Christian because Christianity works. I'm a Christian because Christianity is evidentially true. And I've looked at the evidence. And, you know, I'll get into this more at the tail end of our show today. i got to move a little bit quicker here. Now, the second part of this verse, we see that the idea is reinforced with another word, building off of hypostasis, looking at the second clause, we read the the phrase, the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. So, when we look at this word, these two words, we see the words conviction and we see the words evidence. They're actually the same word in the original language of the text, which is elegachos. And this word denotes evidence or proof and originates from the word that was used in the ancient papyri for legal proofs where there is an accusation. Now, what are you and I accused of today in our culture? Uh, your narrow-minded, fundamentalist, blind faith bigot? Have you heard those things? Have you heard it or read it on the internet? You know, we are accused uh, by the popular atheists of as embracing a blind faith. And many Christians in churches today think that their faith is blind and that it's just blind uh, blind allegiance or, or blind assent, if you will. The problem with this accusation from the, skepticals, uh, from the skeptical side is that Christians 
should and have a strong confidence or assurance in Jesus' finished work at the cross of Calvary, his redemption, redemptive work for shedding his blood as our substitute. This is not only evidenced by his historical death on the cross, his burial, but it is also capped off by his bodily, physical resurrection from the dead. This is not some kind of I hope I win the lottery kind of faith, nor is it some blind leap in the dark. No, this is a faith that packs an assurance because of the eyewitness testimony from the biblical historical sources. We also have external sources from those who followed and trusted the testimony of the biblical writers. We move forward in history and we are trusting in those same eyewitnesses. So this is not a blind faith by any means, but it is one that is packed and loaded with circumstantial evidences attesting to its veracity. By the way, this is also why Christians should care about evidences for their faith, particularly in these days in which we live, because they're not getting better. So let's move now to answering what we mean by the Christian faith. You know, I go to the illustration of the great Baptist preacher of yesteryear, a man by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who gave us a great way of explaining faith and, and what it's all about, where he brings in three ingredients. Those three ingredients are knowledge, belief, and trust. Now, in order to gain some kind of object for the type of faith that one must have, you, you must know what you're believing. You've got to have that knowledge of what you believe. And not many Christians can actually go and say how, what they believe about why they believe Christianity is true, or they haven't been taught doctrine. They haven't been taught the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And I'm not talking about fundamentalism. I'm talking about the fundamentals, the deity of Christ, the Trinity, the virgin birth, and other great doctrines like that. Now, you have to have knowledge on those things. Where you um, then move to believing those things as, as they're true, as you learn about them, as you gain more knowledge, that it, more knowledge is reinforced. And what you are looking at is knowledge and believing the facts. As Christians, we base our knowledge on the historicity of Jesus Christ and key evidence evidences, or should I say events, from Scripture, which have been proven reliable through the ancient eyewitness testimony, sacred history, and even secular history. We have knowledge of the good news of the gospel, and the knowledge of how one can receive the free gift of salvation, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Romans 10.9 tells us that we will be redeemed or saved from our sin. And, and folks, there's plenty of solid evidence to know that the Christian faith is packed with the truth. Now, when you look at all of this, what do other people believe, particularly on the other side of the belief line? Well, atheists base their, their knowledge on theory and strings of theories that God does not exist. They base it on rhetoric. 
They believe that God does not exist, and they base that belief on science, drawing together all kinds of logical fallacies, which can be turned over on their head and used against their arguments. But see, both Christians and skeptics know that certain facts, uh, that they, what they believe are true, and claims that they are, or that they're willing to claim that they have faith. Who has ever looked at their faith or, or looked at what they believed in and really examined it? I don't think many have. And, and when you get into these discussions, it turns out to be whoever has the most faith between the two uh, camps, uh, whoever has the most faith is going to claim the victory in the debate. Now, as we examine all the knowledge based on the evidences that God's historical intervention in human history and historical life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, we take the next step. This goes into what I was talking to you about just moments ago, and that's the, the whole idea of belief. It's now, belief itself is not some kind of mental assent. There is a lot of evidence of what we believe about God's existence, his life and work, the life and work of Jesus Christ, and the historical reliability of the Bible. And when all is said and done, the Christian faith is a believing and knowing results in taking action. What is that action? It is the final step in Spurgeon's description on faith. And this is what we call trust. If you go along with this whole idea of mental assent, you're not going to have true faith. But if you go beyond this kind of assent, you will end up going and diving into this whole thing on trust. Now, it is not a mental assent, as I mentioned moments ago. There's a lot of evidence for why we believe what we believe. But, you know, we acknowledge that we are not the people we were created to be, that we have abandoned God, we have turned to our own way. Uh, we have, and by acknowledging this, if we acknowledge this, if we're willing to acknowledge this, we in turn repent and rest assurance that Jesus Christ, through his death and his burial and his resurrection, he will redeem us. We have that promise. We're able to take this hope. Again, this hope is not a blind hope. It's not like going and taking a scratch card or buying a scratch card at the local 7-Eleven or wherever you go and get your lottery tickets and going and hoping that you win. A lot of people have this blind hope. It's like wearing a blindfold and just going and scratching away, trying to figure out whether or not you're going to win uh, X amount of money. But that's not what it's called. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, you and I are called to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. We have a biblical mandate to act upon that calling. We have uh, a mandate to love our neighbor as ourself, even though they think we are the weirdest duck on the park, on the pond. But you know, I guess a, a great illustration of this would be that I had to take a step of faith in asking my wife to marry me back in 1986. And I had evidence that she would be a good wife, that her character was godly, that she could uh, be the, the wife that, that God had for, has for me. It's still, you know, we're still married. It'll be 34 years this year. But 
with a, a blind lapse of judgment on her part, she said, I do. And I'm glad she did. Because that is what you call trust. I have placed my faith in her and she in me in order for us to be man and wife for as long as we both shall live. Now, what kind of faith have you got? Do you have the faith that is going to stand the perfect storm that is coming? We're already hearing the winds of culture. But, folks, the winds really have not, to, have not started blowing. They can die down a little bit for a few years, but then they can stir back up another. And, of course, depending on what state you live in and or what country you live in, if you're listening to, listening to us overseas, we are going to be tested. There is no doubt that you and I are going to be tested. What do I mean by testing? Folks, we are looking at massive changes in our culture. We are looking at the tectonic shifts of our society changing. And these changes are revolutionary changes at the most basic level. Those things that are under attack, for example, the foundational level of morality, the definition of truth, we are indefinitely in a post-truth culture. Folks, you and I are looking at a period where we as Christians are going to be tested, no doubt. Our faith is going to be tested. You and I are going to face the necessity of understanding the different formations of this gathering storm that is before us. We are going to need to understand the language of society around us and the worldview, the sits and leave of the culture that is developing around us in, a, in the arenas of politics, in the courts, and even on the college campuses. What is happening in the areas um, that are under attack? Things like sanctity of human life, the family, sexuality, marriage. All of these things are under attack the battle over education and economic policy and politics and all the rest of these things are on the horizon. And you and I need a robust faith. So what is your faith like? We've talked about the definition of faith. Faith is actually trust when it's all said and done. It's about having knowledge and believing that the knowledge that you're believing in is true, that you've actually investigated that knowledge, and then taking that knowledge and trusting it as true. As I said earlier in our show today, I'm not a Christian because Christianity works. I'm a, Christ, I'm a Christian because Christianity is evidentially true, because it is the truth. And whether or not I had a corrupt Bible or not, or whether I have a good Bible, it doesn't matter. It's a historical fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. And if I have a corrupt Bible and that passage in Romans 9, 10, 9 says, 
that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that's all I had, um, I'm, I'm okay with that. But thankfully, we have the Word of God and the, the whole Word of God from Genesis to the end of the Revelation is true. It is what we, what we have today is what they wrote back then, about 99.5, which is better than ivory soap. And folks, what we have is a risen Savior. Thank you for listening to Let's Get Real with Rob Lundberg. We've talked about faith. We've given you the definition of faith. We've talked about the Bible, what the Bible has to say about faith, and we talk about knowledge, believing, and trusting. If you have any questions about what you've heard today, please email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. And as you go out this week, as you go out, if your state is opening up, make sure you be his ambassador. Make sure you look at the person as somebody who has a question or an objection if you're in a context of conversation. But more importantly, remember that you are the fifth gospel. You are the gospel that people will read because they will not read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let me say that again. You are the gospel that they will read. You are the fifth gospel because they will not read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So as you go out, go out and give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless. 